So we weren't able to have the Emerge 2020 Chicago conference, but that doesn't mean we aren't going to be able to talk to some of the sponsors of that conference and get the lowdown on what they're doing in the market. So stay tuned because we're going to talk storage today. Everybody, welcome back to another Future Tech video podcast. I also want to let everyone know that the audio version of the podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and most of the other podcast platforms, or you can find it at futr.buzzsprout.com. In 2012, Isilon veterans Neil Fashion, Peter Godman, and Aaron Passy set out to create a new vision for storage. After extensive market research and development, they released the file-based storage platform Cumulo in 2014. Most recently, they finished a substantial funding round with a valuation over a billion dollars. They have built a software-defined storage product that is built to run in the data center or in the cloud, focusing on performance, simplicity, and they are looking to rewrite the storage playbook. And I can tell you that they are popping up in deals all over the place. Today, we have with us Molly Presley, who runs global product marketing for Cumulo to tell us the story of Cumulo and where they are headed. Welcome, Molly. Great to be here. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. And as usual, we have Sundish Patel. Hey, Chris. Thank you for having me. <laughs> thank you for being. Just being. <laughs> thank you for being. You're the only one that's ever said that. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, Molly, um, you know, tell us a little bit about the Cumulo value proposition. I, I you know, because I don't, I don't know that a whole lot of people know. I mean, even though you guys are a, a billion dollar valuation company, I don't know that a whole lot of people, you know, have heard the story of Cumulo yet and, and, and where you fit into the market. Yeah. So Cumulo, you mentioned our great and very intelligent founders at the beginning of this. <laughs> they did something kind of unique when they kicked off the company before they wrote a line of code, you know, the guys came from the venture capital firms and said, we, we would like to fund something new. Um, what is it you would build? And before they wrote a line of code or did an architecture or anything like that, a business plan, they talked to almost a thousand customers about what are the challenges that they have with infrastructure, getting access to their data. And it was interesting outcomes. It was, you know, I just kind of hate my storage vendor. I have to work with them, but every time I have to pick up the phone and call support or talk to my rep, you know, my blood pressure goes up and that's super frustrating to me. You know, I know I'm going to have to be sold something new every time I talk to my rep or when I call customer support, I'm going to have to go through escalations and pull up serial numbers and get passed on before I can get my question answered. Things like that were a huge pain point. And then there was also that, if you think about back in 2012, that's when the cloud was really getting going, when dispersed environments where not everyone was circled, circled around a data center, but people were working in a lot of different locations around the globe. And so there's a lot of challenges with data on how do I take advantage of new technologies? My data is being created in multiple locations. There's now you know, sensors everywhere. And I need to figure out how do I capture my data? How do I access it, make it available to the, the creators, the users, the business? And so really the foundation of Cumulo is start with what are the big challenges and look at how do we architect a product to uniquely solve them? So it, it's, it's interesting. Um, you know, we always say that 
it's the customer is the key. Like it, nothing matters uh, except what the customer says about the products, right? And I think it's really interesting that you know your first approach was to go and talk to a thousand customers and figure out um, what 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 their pain points were. And and I also think it's it's interesting that you know so many of the pain points that came up were around sort of the service aspect of it. I mean, can, mm-hmm. you, can you speak to, you know, what your, your thoughts were around that? Yeah, I mean, technology differentiation is interesting. And sometimes vendors and thought leaders get a little bit too wrapped up in how neat their widget is. You know, they design this super cool thing and it's incrementally different from the competitor and the marketing teams go make a big deal about it. And that's a little bit, you know, for us marketing folk, it's the, the outside in kind of perspective is what you need to focus on. What does the customer care about? Not what do we care about and what are we proud of? And Cumulo was founded from the very beginning, not on how could we do something different than competitor X, Y, or alternative Z, but instead, are there challenges out there not being solved and how do you start from there? And so that was really what it came down to was creating a business plan and, a, you know, an architecture, of course, and a product that we sell that uniquely addresses the real challenges customers have. And the reason we've been so successful, even though our brand is not broadly well-known, like a lot of the major brands out there, is our customers just love us. Our NPS score is almost 90, which is wow. you know, unbelievably awesome. high. Yeah. And our um, you know, Gartner Peer Insights, stuff like that, you know, third-party reviews are really great. And it really comes down to, they like working with us. We solve real business problems, real challenges that they have, and they get good value for what we're providing to them. So they're happy to write us a check. They enjoy the experience. And as they're being challenged to solve new business problems with their data, we help them get there. And they know we'll help them today. And we have an architecture that's going to help them into the future. It's very future-proof type of architecture. Storage is a really uh, crowded space. I mean, it's it, it has you know really entrenched legacy you know vendors um there there was a a huge disruption that came around you know adding flash into the into the market um that really kind of upended the market and and you guys kind of come in on on the heels of that um what was it that you know you thought you could bring to the storage market i mean what what was it that you're like i mean besides obviously you know the customer service aspect of it and Mm -hmm, the customer satisfaction perspective of it you know like what was it you're like here's the thing that needs to change what was sort of that light bulb moment for you guys yeah i i think that the first piece of that answer is yes we're a storage company but we're really a data company we're about making data available to access after it's been created, to retain, to reference back to, to drive interesting insights from with analytics. Um, And focusing more on that, the value of the software and how we enable those things than on the storage. So we're currently working through a rebranding process and moving from calling ourselves hybrid file storage to file data platform. So yeah, I know that sounds like marketing and it is, (laughs) <laughs> but, um, you know, there's an important subtlety here that there's really no one else out there in the landscape that we can compare to that we say, legacy vendor X, Cumulo does this other thing, and here's how we're different. We're just thinking about the market differently. So our architecture is platform agnostic. If you want to use NVMe, if you want to use the native AWS infrastructure, if you want some, you know, cheap and deep disk, whatever the storage platform is, 
is agnostic to us. So what that means is we we are software defined. We have a software application that no matter where you're running it, natively in the cloud, in the data center, across multiple clouds, you get the same features, the same functionality, the same capabilities. And when you think about that versus the way it was done in the past with legacy inventors, there was hardware lock-in. At the end of three years, you had to figure out what were you going to do to upgrade your hardware and were you going to commit to another three to five years. This really liberates a customer both from proprietary hardware or making a decision on hardware that maybe they'll want to change a year from now because they want to go to the cloud, whatever it might be. But it also helps them deride the commodity curve. So when a faster new processor comes out, when NVMe becomes cost-effective versus SSD, they actually can make that shift and take advantage of those new capabilities. And as costs come down, they can take advantage of those faster. So while we do think of ourselves as a storage company, we've kind of unlocked our software from the hardware or from the platforms so that customers can use what they want to accomplish their performance or cost goals. And if they want to move their data around, we'll help them do that. There's no lock in there. Yeah. Well, I, you know, it's, it's, um, I, I think that's a, that's a challenging problem to solve though, that um, you know, like being, you have a, a great advantage being a software-based company, right? Because mm -hmm. you can be so agile, you can add new features and 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 you know change and pivot, you know, to meet market demands very quickly. But you do then have to make sure it runs on all these crazy platforms, which has got to be a lot of work, I imagine. It is. I mean, our engineering team, we do qualify platforms. It's not anything anyone wants to bring right. to us, but it's, it's a reasonable cross-section or sampling of everything. And, you know, it what it really requires is designing your software differently. So when you want to do an upgrade, how, if you have your software running in a whole bunch of different locations, how do you get the code to those environments and do that upgrade? Versus in the past where you had this big monolithic system, you get the code on there with a USB or, or, you know, an internet connection, however you got the code there and you upgrade the whole system. Now we need to disperse code and upgrade on different platforms that have different device drivers. And so, yeah, just basic things like that are hard. And while it seems like on the surface, Cumulo has some of the same features and functionality that a legacy alternative has, we do, but we had to architect them completely different so that you could use them as software in a distributed environment. So, Taking those hard enterprise requirements of security, data protection, uptime, and being able to make it where you can have that be done in software and across the environments is really the hard work that our engineers have done. You, you guys made kind of an interesting choice too with uh, using erasure coding on your back end. You know, we, we like erasure coding because um, it, it gives you an opportunity to really massively scale your storage system, right? Um, in ways that you cannot do with RAID uh, systems. Um, I, and, I, and I think that's an interesting choice. And I think when you talk about distributed systems, it's a really you know, ideal sort of platform for that. I mean, can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. And you bring up an interesting topic that when we went back in 2012 and we were looking, what should we build? You may remember that object stores were really in vogue back then. And mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. um, our investors even said, you know, are you sure, really, a file system? You know, <laughs> yeah, are you sure right. you want to go build an object <laughs> store? And uh, yes, yeah, so there was a decision point we had to make there on file versus object. And yeah. when it came down to it, we made the decision we did that most legacy applications, the users, the applications write to file. That's yeah. where it's performant. 
And there's some problems with file scalability being an issue, for example, that object storage was solving. So object storage had this different functionality. It was using erasure coding. It was highly distributed. Maybe it had file systems inside and that's going probably too technical, but you know, maybe they had 40 file systems in their object store, but it didn't matter because to the customer they were gaining scalability. And erasure coding is a big part of that. It gives you the ability to distribute your data over a whole bunch of devices It gives you the ability to not worry about failures. If you have a bunch of disk drives fail that you're rebuilding, it abstracts all those problems from the user environment. Um, So what Cumulo built was a best of both worlds. It was a file system that can scale to billions and billions of files and can scale to millions of IOPS and dozens and dozens of gigabytes of throughput and has erasure coding underneath it so that as you have lots and lots of disk drives or SSDs in there, um, you can, it's fault tolerant. So we built kind of a lot of the cool technology of erasure coding and object storage inside, but with the um, performance and function that you get with a file system. Yeah, I I think, you know, what we've seen is that the the benefits of object storage haven't really um, been in object storage devices so much as in products that utilize mm. object storage to you know right. to to run. Yeah, I mean, anytime you try to get into object storage, and I'm I, I'm interested in what it does, particularly in the cloud. You know, when you think yeah. about Amazon mm-hmm. S3, mm-hmm. Um, but you know, there's a whole path here where applications have to be written to use object storage. A whole bunch of them have been written in the cloud. There's a lot less in the data center. Um, yeah, so there's it's kind of like we were talking about on one of the cool things about being software is you don't really have to worry too much about what the infrastructure is underneath. Present the right interfaces to the applications and users, and then they don't really want to get too involved in what are we, you know, how do we handle the bits flowing through our system yeah. and protect them. They kind of just assume you're doing that. Um, right. Cumulo takes care of that great, provides the right applications. So the whole conversation comes back to users. What are you going to do with it? What are your data requirements? What are your application requirements? And that's the cool thing about file systems is they can support both. You know, you can absolutely put a nice S3 interface in front of it. You can move data to objects. So, you know, it's kind of, I think, there was a time there where we were trying to figure out how to accomplish scale and we were trying to accomplish distributed environments. And the approach Cumulo took, we, you know, was really kind of looking at what is the more difficult view of writing a file system from the ground up. We took a long mm-hmm. time to write it and we're eight years in and, you know, just now really starting to scale the business. So it took a while, um, but it's, you know, it's good technology that people really depend on. Yeah. So, you you guys uh, decided to build a file file based system, right? Rather than sort of a block storage system, right? Um, and and that's sort of a that's sort of a the future of those two uh, approaches is sort of a hotly debated topic in some uh, categories. Um, some yes. people think that everything is going to end up in uh, you know some sort of file based storage system at the end of the day, and some people think, wow, blocks never going to go away. Um, obviously, you guys have made a bet uh, on that, and 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 as you talk about, you know, be, being a data company and, and dealing with you know unstructured data and things like that, um, you know, you're you're certainly placing your your chips in that that category. Do you want to talk? Because file is kind of hard to do, right? There's a it's there's really a lot of complexities to, to file. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's a lot easier to do. All block. the smart file system guys say it takes eight <laughs> to ten years to build a file system mm-hmm. that's robust. You know, I mean, I think that's the rule of thumb. It's it is yeah. hard to do, but. 
you know, to your point, um, we have some kind of fundamentals that we use at Cumulos, giving customers freedom, flexibility, and choice, you know, freedom, flexibility, choice, and kind of, you know, the ability to control their, their destiny. And when you think about file versus block and the choices that we've made, um, when you think about structured and semi-structured data, Block's great there, you know, VMware, environments, all those types of things. But when you start to think about unstructured data, block storage just doesn't fit there. So really for us, it was a decision on which type of data do we want to serve. And again, you go back to 2012 and there's all those exponential curves that we've all seen a million times about the growth of unstructured data. Um, And the challenge was storing it initially, just where do I put it all? And I don't have a lot of budget and how do I know what I have? But now that's really been solved. There's lots of places to put that quickly growing data. Now it's all about how do I give access to applications and users and the business to make intelligent decisions around it. And so when you come back to what decisions we made, we went with, we want to solve the unstructured data problem and we want to solve it for the application users. We don't just want to store it. You know, there's lots of ways to do that, but yeah. we want to make it accessible and usable and performant and give customers the ability to decide where they want to run it. If you have a CIO who has a cloud first mandate, that's mm-hmm. fine. If you have an application that, you know, still runs on legacy and the guy who wrote that application from the oil and gas industry retired, retired 20 years ago, we can still serve that data, the applications. And that's really what we're looking to do. One of the things you said, Molly, that really caught my attention now after selling storage for 22 years, you, you made the comment around uh, your data said that some customers were really frustrated in working with their sales rep and their in the in a sales <laughs> vendor, right? A storage vendor, right? Didn't which, you say which, you were a sales rep? Yeah, at some yeah, point? <laughs> exactly. So I was a little offended, but that's fine. Um, no, but it's it's a great point because I think what you're saying, is, and I really appreciate this, and I and I hope you can speak a little bit about the customer experience, right? Chris alluded to how we always look at companies that really put that customer experience at the top of the priority list because nothing really matters unless you have happy customers, right? And so can you speak a little bit about how is your, why is your NPS score so high and what are you doing sure. different to give that customer experience? Yeah, there's a few kind of fundamental things that we did there. The first was we use Slack for customer support. Um, so when a customer works with us, they don't have a support ticket. Every customer, they buy us with a software subscription license and support is included in that. They get a dedicated Slack channel that for the customers I spend time with, I can see what's going on with them, their sales guy, their SE, um, product management. So there, it, it's flat. It's real time. And it's just like communicating with the rest of your team. Mm-hmm. Hey, man, you know, I just got here and I can't figure out what this log file means. What does that mean? Oh, send it over. Let me look at it. You know, it's a very real time mm. conversational thing. Mm. Yeah. Um, the Slack channels on our end are all um, managed by system administrators. So we don't have tiering. Everybody who is on the other end of the Slack knows how to manage our systems, mm-hmm. knows how to you know, look at our analytics and that type of thing. So there's, that's the second piece is, is real-time access, but then you're working with experts on the other end. There's mm-hmm. not, you know, that tiering, which can be super frustrating. Um, and then there's just a fanatical focus on the voice of the customer, constant surveys of our users on what would they like to see from us? What are they satisfied with? What are they mm-hmm. not? Um, but we also have really smart software that is cloud-based monitoring where we can see our entire fleet of customers and we can look at for all the clusters and systems deployed, which features are being used most, which are being turned on but not really used. And then that gives us a lot of insight from our data science team to look at 
why is this feature not being adopted or why was it turned on, but there's no data flowing through mm -hmm. it. And usually that gives us some really interesting insights into is not working properly or it's not really value add or customers maybe don't know about it. And so we do a lot of data science work on understanding what's really happening versus mm -hmm. it being a you know, marketing function where we launch a product, we're very proud of it, and journals, journalists write about it, but then customers never really use it. We delve into why. Yeah, yeah, and I, and I really appreciate that because, you know, again, being that sales guy, I do appreciate what you're saying, selling storage for as long as I have. I think the customer experience needs to continuously get better. It needs to get easier. You know, we need we need to solve that uh, experience for the customer. But like, you know, kind of ducktailing on that, um, also, like Chris was alluding, a lot of, lot of storage vendors out there, and I, and I truly believe, and I think Chris agrees too, is culture is a big part of a startup, and it's a big part of how you build a company. You know, it, it's not a one plus one equals two kind of a thing, right? It's a, it's a very difficult problem to solve. So how, do, how is Cumulo different from a culture perspective? Because I, I really respect some of the leadership you guys have. I know, I know Mike Odisho here in Chicago. He's a great, great guy. He's been in the industry for a long time. Like, how do you, if you're getting somebody over to come to Cumulo, what's that culture sell? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it's kind of interesting. I've been in this space for a long time as well. And I can't tell you the number of times at different companies I've worked for, we've had the discussion of, oh my God, we have this new platform coming out that is going to dramatically change the economics of the business. And the company went, oh no, that means our average sales going from $100,000 to $50,000 because of this innovation. And it was like, mm. gosh, how do we hang on to that $100,000 sale? Mm -hmm. And it's very, very unique that Cumulo sits there. And literally, this just happened this week. We were doing a review of a launch that we have coming up. And there were some people saying, you know, well, you know, how do we make sure we maintain the deals that are already quoted? And our CEO said, guys, doesn't matter. Our job is to bring the best value to our customers. And that's what makes them come back over and over again. And that's why our business does well. So don't worry about the fact that, yes, the quotes are going to go down. And yes, you know, revenue will go down. Let's just focus on giving the customers what they want. Um, and, you know, that that's just a sample of how we think about things. But it permeates through the whole company of make sure the customers are getting what they need they'll be happy, they'll come back and put more data in us and we'll ultimately both be successful. Um, another example of that was just recently we launched a technology called Shift, which is taking file data and making a copy of it into Amazon S3. So shifting it from file to object format. And once that happens, we is out of the Cumulo namespace. We no longer have control of the data and we're not charging for the data in S3. So, you know, you would think, well, why would the CFO let us do that? You know, let's take a petabyte <laughs> of data out of our file system and put it in S3 and not charge for it. Seems kind of counterintuitive, but that's what customers want. We spend a mm -hmm. lot of time asking them how they want to use S3 and what are your frustrations? And their frustrations are great. I have to have proprietary applications and software laying on top of S3 that adds cost, adds complexity. So that whole value I wanted is kind of gone. We took that abstraction layer away knowing that, well, when they need to use that data for performance or in their data center, it will come back through Cumulo and they'll like us and they'll choose to bring it back through us versus someone else. So there's there's a lot of pieces culturally we do like that. Yeah, that's great. Um, so, so tell me a little bit about like, who 
where have you had success in like sort of key use cases? Like what, what sort of, you know, market verticals have, have you really been strong in? Yeah, we really group them into three types of data. There's video data, which might be corporate video production, media and entertainment, Hollywood production, TV shows, that type of video or video surveillance data. So there's video data as category number one. Then on the other side is analytical data, AI, machine learning, um, where you're really running just really high performance workloads using things like Splunk, for example. And then right in the middle is enterprise file. It's IT data centers that need security and user directories and home directories, whether it's for enterprise or for university types of environments that is traditional file data that like the idea of moving off of some of the legacy incumbents to Cumulo because it will help them get to the cloud and things like that, but kind of three areas. We, we live in sort of really challenging, you know, market conditions right now. And, um, you know, it, it's impressive that you guys just, you know, closed a fairly mm-hmm. substantial round in the middle of all of this, right? Um, what, you know, like based on 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 the challenges of this this market and, and you know, trying to, and, and some of the industries you talked about have been hit pretty hard, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Tell us about like, you know, what, what you, you guys are doing to adapt and, and, and change within this, you know, crazy world we're living in right now. Yeah. Yeah. It, the fundraising timing was, I guess you could say opportunistic. We didn't actually need money. We had yeah. quite a bit of money in the bank and investors were coming and wanting to invest. And the finance folks at the company took a look and decided, you know, it, it, it was a sensible thing to do. I mean, honestly, you know, maybe there won't yeah. be money for, available next year. You never know. And right. so the smart people who manage the company decide, hey, well, there's money here and it's a good deal. And, mm-hmm. you know, they made that decision. Um, but what's cool is it is helping us scale even faster, taking that extra money to scale and go to market and grow so that our brand is a little bit more well-known in the future will really help us. Um, but there's other things that we're doing to adapt to this landscape. Um Figuring out how customers, and I mean, I know this is why you're doing this podcast series, that figuring out how do customers want to engage? You know, how do users want to talk to us? And what we're finding is workshops are super popular, that sitting on another webinar is not super interesting, but... Zoom fatigue. (laughs) Yeah, but a workshop where you can facilitate a whiteboard session and four or five peers, you know, from different companies all on the same call talking about... How did they move their media and entertainment studio to the cloud, for example? How are they getting low latency to their creators? Or how did they shift uh, analytics environment up to the cloud to facilitate remote workers? And doing workshops like that seemed to be super popular and helping customers feel like we're inventing and how to talk to them and how to interact with them. And um, so there's been a lot of just trying different things, understanding from our customers, how they would like to talk to us. You know, do they still want executive briefings that they used to get at trade shows? Turns out they don't, interestingly enough, (laughs) Um, you know, but not trying to force it to just realizing our times have changed and we need to evolve and understand how people want to talk to us and have a real conversation. Well, you're in a, you're definitely in an interesting role these days because you know global product marketing is uh, you know been a really challenging environment because all the trade shows have gone, all the usual channels have gone away. But I think in some some regards, I think we're kind of refining you know what that message is in this 
space. Because I think we're finding that a lot of the things that we used to do are not bringing a tremendous amount of value to, to people. And, you know, you mentioned like all the workshops and things like that are yeah. actually really bringing value. So it's, 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 it's interesting, you know, to tr figure out what, what works. Well, and the other thing that it's offering, which I think is really cool, is if you just think about a trade show in the past or a channel partner event, you were maybe targeting an enterprise that had 10,000 employees and you'd only get to talk to one or two of them. They were the ones yeah. who had the travel budget or had the invitation, whatever it was. And now it's you can open that up to so many more people. So one of the cool things yeah. I'm finding is when we talk to an organization, for a company to be happy with a technology decision – you want to bring a lot of people on. There's procurement, there's the folks who are going to use it, there's the managers. And now we actually can bring along more of the team on the decision and what we're doing and why. And that's been a really positive outcome. Yeah. Instead and, and, of decisions and, being forced on them, you know? Yeah. Well, and, and a huge cost savings, I got to imagine, too. Right. Yeah. And, and I think this is the new normal. For everybody. <laughs> yeah, for everybody involved. I mean, I think a lot of people are missing the trips, um, you know, myself included. But I yes. think, you know, like the amount of money you're saving and, and, and the things you can do, you know, instead of that are, are, are kind of, you know, nice. <laughs> yeah, and way. I think they'll stick. You know, I don't think yeah. we're going to go back as soon as there's a vaccine. It's not going to be. We're, we are on a new path, whatever that yeah. is, you know. No, but, you know, I'm old enough to remember the old days of, you know, the, the web and, you know, the promise of the web and that, you know, we're, this is how business is going to be done now. We don't have to travel to anything anymore. And, you know, it's all going to be done. And that never that was never realized. But I think, you know, as things have gotten the technology has gotten better and, and our, our ability to utilize the platforms have gotten better, we've slowly been moving in that direction. And I think now we've sort of really hyper accelerated that. And it's interesting to see, um, you know, the new ways that 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 people are getting the message out yeah lots yeah, of new tools <laughs> it, yeah as much as like i see a lot of that man you know and i also feel like um like what bipple was saying during our last conversation with bipple he was saying you know having those creative moments with other people like having a conversation like we're having now yeah like actually you know getting into the a discussion having having different perspectives and listening you know that that creative aspect i don't want to lose that well i, I think he was you know he, he in particular he was talking about sort of the opportunistic meetings of you know that mm -hmm. that that foster a lot of creativity that's right you know and that's that's a kind of a cultural thing too i mean i think um you know and, and i think that because his 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 take on that was that we're we're getting this bump in productivity because everybody's working from home. They're working more hours because they don't have to commute and all those things, um, and they have flexibility to do that. Um, but he said that you know I think he said I think there's going to be a tapering off of that because at some point you know that that sort of opportunistic uh, you know meeting and and creativity that comes from that mm -hmm. is 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 gone. So you you have you're going to have a decline of productivity because the creativity is missing from the equation. So it's, it's sort of our job to figure out how to reinsert a lot of that creativity into the, into the discussion, I think. Yeah. But you know, Chris, when we used to go to all those conferences, what was the thing that you would say all the time, which is, you know, once you get to a conference and you're physically in front of someone and just, you know, haphazardly you get to meet some people and then all of a sudden you find yourself in a conversation, mm -hmm. right? And, and Chris does this really, really well, but it's fun because like you just, you're not really planning the conversation. You're just, it just, it just organically happens. Yeah. And the next thing you know, you have a couple customers weighing in, you have some vendors weighing in and the purpose is really to share ideas and thoughts, you know, not to see who's smarter and who's right, but it's really, 
to have an intellectual conversation. And that's the part which I think we, that I think you're going to miss a lot, Chris, because I know you love those conferences. Well, I get to do this. Because this, he goes to every single booth, right? And talks to every single person, right? Like, I'm, I'm I, I love cool five, ideas. But, I love cool ideas. But, <laughs> but, you know, hey, man, call VC. I think there's a product idea there, right? You know, sort of switch gears here a little bit. I want to ask you a little bit about, you know, like what we, we talked about sort of the file versus, you know, uh, block kind of discussion. But what, what do you see as the future of storage? I mean, there's there's so much going on in that space. I mean, what, where, where do you think it's all leading? Yeah, I think really when it comes down to it, um, there will always be innovation in infrastructure, faster hardware, faster memory cost reductions and that's going to continue i mean we all worried about moore's law and you know we we found our ways to deal with that and you know i mean so innovation will continue um and so when you think about where we're going and where i think the industry is going it's a lot more about offering the services the interfaces the capabilities that a customer needs that if you want to easily run up a analytics service or machine learning service, or you want to flexibly and dynamically have elasticity to your environment where you want to spin up more performance or more capacity, just a lot more flexibility is what I think customers are going to be looking for. Not buying a monolithic thing for a million dollars that has a certain amount of capacity and performance, but instead dynamic services where developers, where um, data scientists, data users, and traditional enterprise can all kind of self-serve what they need when they need it is really where I think things are going. And yeah, that's I, not I, just in the cloud. I think that's in data centers as well. Yeah, I, we're, we're, seeing, we're seeing a big movement towards everything as a service these days. Everything. Absolutely. Um, yeah. and, and I think that the writing is on the wall for that one, um, especially now when, when uh, cash flow is a real big issue for so many organizations. Well, and it's really frustrating to, as a IT buyer, I've heard this so many times, to know I only get budget approved once every five years for an infrastructure purchase. And yeah. at the beginning of that, I've overspent and I'm not using most of it. And then I have to try to predict what I'm going to need at the end. And what if I underpredict? And then, oh, gosh, I can't give the service I need to to the business. That's very frustrating. It puts people in a really tough, you know, kind of rock and hard spot sort of situation. And this flexibility and as a service takes all of that out of it so they can say, I have money if I'm going to spend it when I need it on what I know instead of guessing. Yeah. I mean, it well, just it, makes so much sense. Yeah, it, it completely does. And I, and I think, you know, a lot of financial people in organizations have been sort of scrambling to fix figure that out, right? Because, yes. I mean, one, you, you know, you shift all this spend from capital to OPEX. Um, that has significant implications, Even but it frees up a lot of cash. Taxes is difficult. Yeah. You know, it is. It's a hard job for the CFO. Yeah, and 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 not only you know, but it does free up some from some of your cash flow. But um, you know, th- there's there's a lot of uh, complicated factors in there because it's when you have these sort of opex based models, they can be variable in in their their nature, right? And so that's not something that's easily budgeted for sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, but the flip side of that is, you know, surprises always happen. Somebody, you know, you, you hire, you, you buy a new company and you've got to, you know, add capacity, right. And that comes in the middle of the year and it's unexpected and, you know, you have to adjust for that. So, yeah, I mean, Cumulo does a cool thing there and I agree with everything you're saying and we're still on a path to getting this where it's 
just the way it needs to be for everyone involved. But Cumulo does a neat thing. We have uh, predictive analytics that you can go into our dashboard and it will tell you how fast is your data, data growing and when are you likely to need more capacity and which users are running into performance bottlenecks and predicting when you should add performance. When will you run out of metadata? We, we have some pretty cool analytics we built in to kind of help with that. But in the end, you don't know when you might buy that new company or a new work group might come over. So you need the business model as well as the technology. Well, and I think the interesting thing about the way you guys are approaching the market is you have a lot of flexibility in growing that footprint. I mean, if you need to, because you're a software-based company, if you need to grow fast, you don't have to worry about, you know, restricted supplies because of, you know, Mm-hmm. tariffs or exactly. pandemic and things like that you can look to alternate vendors right exactly exactly yeah um so so tell me you know we, we kind of talk about what the future of storage is what's what's next for cumulo like what are the great ideas that you guys have on tap i know you probably can't share a whole lot yeah. of that but <laughs> i'm grinning you know like, well you know i don't want to be the one who has to have the wrong words edited out <laughs> yes yes <laughs> Uh, Maybe you could give us a little bit of a flavor of, you know, the direction that you're looking. Definitely. Yeah. Um, You know, so the whole concept of as a service platforms is directionally where we're heading for sure. Um, Multi-cloud flexibility. We were in GCP and AWS today, but, you know, expanding that to other clouds, not just in the Americas, but around the globe. Um, And it's not just about having our technology running on the infrastructure and in the marketplace, but, integration with cloud monitoring tools and their sales teams and how customers are accustomed to buying without losing the legacy buyer who has data centers. Um, So, you know, a lot of where we're heading is business models and access to the technologies where customers want to buy. And then the data management piece of how do you see all your data? How do you move it around? How do you know who's accessed which data in different locations and continuing to really invest in that data visibility and data management piece is another big area that we're focusing on. That's awesome. And like I said, you know, we see you guys popping up in deals all over the place. So you guys are really making a lot of headway. I mean, obviously you're, you know, have a valuation over a billion dollars now. So that's, that's probably says something's going on there, right? (laughs) Um, Yeah. So I, I, I think it's really exciting. Molly, really appreciate your, uh, your insight into the storage uh, market and telling us all about Cumulo. I think uh, you're going to be a really, really exciting company to watch going forward. And I really appreciate you coming on and, and telling us the story. Thanks so yeah, much. Really fun conversation. Thank you, guys. Yeah, thanks. Good luck, Molly. So if you like what you saw, please hit that like button. Click on that subscribe button because that helps a ton. And if you want to get notifications when we post more content, Click on that bell icon and I'll see you in the next video.